0: All right um, so uh, like uh, like Kelly read earlier, um, we are going to be uh, looking uh, this year actually on the theme of building on the foundation of Christ we're being built on the foundation of Christ uh, specifically from first uh, Corinthians chapter three and uh, verses nine through eleven or really like nine through verse uh, thirteen. Um, I'm going to read that again in just a second, but I just wanted to remind us of uh, what our goals are for this theme this year. Um, this is going to be the first of uh, many theme sermons that we're going to have uh, throughout the year on this topic of building on the foundation of Christ. Um, and we have a couple of specific goals that we want to accomplish uh, in the next year as we uh, go through and look at this theme. Um, the first one being uh, a learning goal. Um, so like what do we want to, to learn this year? And that is specifically that we would learn more about Jesus Christ um, and how to be built uh, on him as the foundation of our faith lives and church um, so what is it what is uh, what is our standard what is the example that we're supposed to be uh, building our foundation on that's supposed to be Jesus um, and we're and the one of our goals this year is going to be to learn more uh, about him as, as that foundation um, if we don't know uh, things about the foundation then it's going to be hard to, to build on that foundation in the first place and then secondly, uh, the living goal—something that's a little bit more, uh, maybe practical for our everyday lives. Um, really, the way I look at this is, how do we apply the learning goal? How do we apply the things that we are learning about Jesus as we go throughout this year? Jesus as our foundation. And that living goal is that we would uh, be better built on Christ, so that we can be God's field, building and dwelling place. Uh, for God. Um, I think it it says there in uh in First Corinthians mm-hmm. chapter. Three and verse sixteen, that we would be a place where He can dwell. Um, this is this is going to be the goal of the the studies that we go through this year: is how can we better uh, be built on Christ? How can we better build our lives on Christ in order to make ourselves into this dwelling place uh, for God? Um, and so, uh, this the topic that I've chosen to discuss this morning uh, might seem to be a little bit of a uh, divergence from, uh, from this theme. But I think if, if you stick with me for the, uh, the short time we have together this morning, um, I think you'll see how we can tie this back in. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is really starting all the way back at the beginning of the life of Christ and talk about the birth of Christ specifically. Um, when I was, uh, I was kind of talking about this, this sermon with Blake uh, a little bit before he uh, left town... Um, He said, you know, one of the most important questions to answer when you're thinking about a lesson is why are you talking about that topic? Um, And I had to think for a second. I was like, well, why am I talking about this topic? Um, And I hope that you'll be able to uh, answer that this morning. But just to kind of state that at the beginning, I want you guys to understand why I think it's important that we start our our series of uh, learning about the foundation of Christ on this specific topic. Um, first of all, I think it's important that we understand uh, that we talk about the birth of Jesus um, because understanding the significance of Christ coming to the earth for the first time, I think really helps us put the rest of his life into proper perspective. Um, this really aids that that learning goal that I just mentioned. Uh, if we're going to be spending this year learning more about Christ, learning more about um, this, this uh, God, this Christ, who is supposed to be the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our lives, I think it's important that we think about the beginning of his life. Think about the beginning of how his whole story started and not just uh, you know, understand that from an intellectual perspective that he came and that happened, and, um, but really understand like the significance behind that. Why was it so important? Why was it so um, really earth shattering uh, in, 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 in a very literal way um, that Jesus came to the earth for the first time? Um, and I hope that we'll understand a little bit more about that today. And then specifically also, I think it will be helpful for us to examine a few of the responses to the birth of Jesus um, and how we can relate those responses to our lives. Um, I think that uh, it's, it's a really cool way that the, uh, the, the story of the birth of Christ is described in the scriptures because it doesn't just give us you know, the, the play-by-play of, you know, here's what happened and then he grew up. It goes and, and lists some of the reactions that some of the people around this event had. Um, and I think that those are really helpful as we consider how we respond to Christ. Um, and I hope that that will cause us to be able to examine our hearts uh, and our own responses to Jesus uh, in the same ways as these people did in, uh, in the Gospels. Um, so just briefly here at the beginning, I want to discuss uh, some of the significance behind the birth of Christ. Um, actually, before I get into that, just to kind of give you a roadmap of what we're going to look at today just briefly, um, I want to talk about this, the significance of the birth of Christ. So why was this important? Um, and then uh, with that context in mind, look at a few of the specific responses that we see listed out in the scriptures of uh, some of the different people that responded to the birth of Christ. And then finally, I want us to look at um, what that means to us, what that significance should mean to us in, uh, in our everyday lives, um, and how we can maybe relate to those people's responses uh, in the same way. Um, before we start out, let's, let's bow with a, for a word of prayer. Our holy and righteous Father in heaven, we come before you now in this hour uh, asking that you will help us to, um, to understand your word, to understand more about Jesus uh, and how he is to be the foundation of our lives, Father. Um, I pray that you'll help us not to just leave this knowledge here, um, but that we will take the things that we learn and apply them to our lives, um, not just being hearers of your word, but, but doers, Father. Um, help us to live lives that, are, uh, that show the evidence of being built on the foundation of Jesus. Um, and I pray that as we go through this, uh, this lesson this morning, you will uh, guide our hearts and guide our understanding to, uh, to just know more about you and, uh, and help our knowledge, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few things about the, uh, the significance of the birth of Christ. Um, just think through this with me for a second. You know, put yourself, if, if you can, um, in the shoes of the, the Jews who were there in the first century. Um, I think it's really, it's really uh, helpful to, to just do that sometimes when you're going through these kinds of stories. Um, this, is, uh, this is the period of time where God has just had a period of silence for about 400 years. Um, there's been little to no communication that we have a record of from God in the period from the end of the prophets until now, until about uh, 4 BC or 0 AD or whenever uh, it, uh, the scholars believe that Jesus was born. Um, so, you know, you have that, that historical context, you have this long period of silence where there's been no word from God. Um, and not only that, um, not only do you have this long period of silence, but you also have the fact that the Romans have been ruling and really oppressing uh, the Jewish people uh, for a long time. And really, they've kind of been passed between a lot of different empires for the past for these, this period of 400 years, whether it was the, uh, the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and now the Romans. There have been all of these different forces that have come through and have been uh, oppressing and taking control of the people of God. Um, and I think that I think the, God's people understood this was not the way that it was supposed to be. It was not supposed to be uh, that there were supposed to be these uh, nations that were ruling over them. They believed that they were the people of God. They were supposed to be um, ruling over themselves. And, uh, and I think you can see that because of some of the, the prophecies that are talked about uh, when it comes to the, this birth of the Christ or the coming king. Um, there are several, like, uh, when it comes to prophecy, there were several, like, specific prophecies that the Jewish people would have known about and looked forward to uh, when it came to the birth of this Messiah. Um, you see a lot of, like, specifics that are mentioned. Uh, you know, location. Uh, the fact that it would be a virgin birth, uh, even even what the name of this Messiah would be. Um, and you see a lot of, uh, throughout the prophets, you see a lot of these specifics that are mentioned along the way of what this coming of Christ, what the, this coming of the Messiah was going to look like and how it would look. Um, but you also, and I think what would have probably been even more meaningful to the Jewish people in this day and age, you see a larger purpose as well, um, in, uh, and I'm not going to read these just for the, the sake of time, um, but I'm just going to reference them quickly. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, um, there's described that there's going to come a prophet like Moses who will put, um, and God says, I'll put my words in his mouth. Um, this is what Israel was expecting—that there was going to be a prophet that would come who would be like Moses, who would literally have the words of God in his mouth. Um, not only that, but this this coming uh, Messiah was going to be a king like David, um, a king who would not just be a, a king who would uh, defeat the enemies, but a king who would bring this covenant of peace um, that did not didn't exist before. We, we see that in Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. Um, in Isaiah chapter 2 and then Isaiah chapter 11, you see this idea that God is going to unite all of his people. Um, it's, it talks about the from the four corners of the earth, God is going to draw his people together. Um, obviously, in this time that we're, uh, we're talking about, this was a time of great division. The people of, of Israel were scattered all over the place. God's people were, um, were not really in one place anymore. And so there was going to be this uniting of the Lord's people that... Uh, that was going to, that the people of Israel were really uh, looking forward to. And not just that, not just uniting the Lord's people, but also defeating his enemies. You see in Psalm 110, it's described that the coming of this Messiah, the coming of this Christ was going to bring the defeat of the Lord's enemies, which if you, if you'd been under oppression for 400 years or, um, you know, however long it had really been that they'd been basically controlled by these other nations. That's something that you would look forward to as a, as a, uh, as an Israelite, as, as one of the Jews. Um, the Lord's enemy is finally being defeated. Um, but even uh, beyond, so you, you think about, so you have the, um, the historical context, you have these prophecies that would have been, would have been known about. Even beyond that, um, if you think about just the, the plan that God has had, um, the people of Israel knew from the very beginning of time, from the first time that God made promises to Abraham, there was a promise that through the line of Abraham, that someone was going to come who would bless all the nations of the earth. There was going to be a seed of Abraham who would come and bless the descendants uh, of, of the world. And that was uh, that was something that Israel, that the people of Israel knew and looked forward to and, and sought. Um, and so this coming of Christ was, was long awaited for. This was something that had been looked forward to for a long time. Not only that, but this was something that carried really like world-changing implications. This would have brought, uh, like I said, the defeat of the Lord's enemies, the uniting of the Lord's people, um, and this was going to be not just any not just some normal person but someone who was a prophet like Moses and a king like David, these you know huge figures in, in israel 's history that would have been looked up to in so many ways um, but not only would it carry these world changing implications but also the coming of Christ represented the ultimate fulfillment of god 's promises. Um, this was something that that Israel knew for a long time was coming and that they were looking forward to. And something that God had promised from the days of Abraham back in, uh, back in Genesis. And so with that context in mind, I want us to just take some time this morning to look at a few of the specific responses that we see in the Gospels to how people really responded to the coming of Christ. Um, there's four specific examples that I want us to look at. We're going to look at... Uh, the shepherds we're going to look at uh, the the wise men who travel from a great distance to come see Jesus uh, we're going to look at Herod um, who is probably the uh, the negative response in this example and then also uh, Simeon and Anna the, this uh, this prophet and, and prophetess that are uh, that are interacting with Jesus uh, there in the Gospel of Luke and we're mainly going to be in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 so um, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter two, though, and we're going to look at uh, first of all the reaction that the uh, the shepherds have to the birth of Jesus. So in Luke chapter two, I'm going to read verses uh, eight through eighteen for us. Now there were shepherds nearby, living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared at the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, that the Lord is made known to us." So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph, and they found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. <clears throat> so I think we see just a couple of observations here about the reaction that these uh, these shepherds have. Um, First of all, if you look at verse 9, their initial response is one of fear. Um, I don't know how you wouldn't have a response of fear if uh, you're just kind of tending your your sheep out in the pasture at night. And then all of a sudden, boom, angels appear and they're, you know, praising God and um, the glory of the Lord is shining around you. Um, That is always kind of described in in fearful or terrifying terms uh, in the scriptures. Um, But their reaction is not to be afraid and to run off. Um, They stay and they listen to what the angels have to say. And what the angels have to say is a message that is good news for all. Um it says there in verse uh verse 10 that this is uh I, that they proclaim good news that brings great joy to all people. Um and you know I I don't know if this was necessarily the version of the Christ that these shepherds would have been expecting. Look at if you look at verse 12. Um this says that uh it says in verse in verse 11 it says he is Christ the Lord. And then the next verse it says, "You'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger." You've just seen this great scene of the glory of God being uh, being proclaimed and uh, shining all around you, and then you hear this this angel tell you, "Well, Christ the Lord has come, and He's a baby lying in a manger." Um, This is uh, you know not probably exactly what they were expecting when it came to uh, to the Christ. But their reaction is, uh, is very interesting to me. It says, uh, as soon as the angels let leave and go back to heaven, that they immediately, and, and uh, the, my version says with haste, uh, or they hurriedly um, leave to go find this child. Um, they recognize that regardless of whether or not this met their expectations, regardless of whether this was what they were expecting or looking for, or maybe even how fearful they would have been about what they had just witnessed, they had to go and find this child. They had to go and see this Jesus, um, who had been uh, who had been prophesied about for so long. Um, and once they find him, it says that they waste no time in telling everyone what they heard about this child. Uh, in verse seventeen, it says that um, they, when they saw him, they related what they had been told about the child, and all who heard it were astonished or wondered at what the shepherds had said. <laughs> um they the the shepherds could not keep this to themselves. This was not something that they just wanted to um, experience and then uh run off and and you know just write a book about or something. They wanted to immediately tell people what they had seen and what they had heard um, because I think even you know even uneducated shepherds like these would have understood somewhat of the implications of what this meant. This was the christ this was the the Messiah that had been prophesied for so long. Um, and finally, you see them—you uh, see them praising and glorifying God uh, in verse twenty. I, I don't think I read verse twenty, but it says the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. Um, so, what do we learn from the reaction of the shepherds here? Um, I think the first thing is that the coming of Christ was somewhat of a fearful thing for these people. Um, like I said, this was—they were this was accompanied by signs. There were these angels appearing. There were. A lot of kind of crazy things happening. But that didn't prevent them from still seeking Christ out. That didn't prevent them from still seeking uh, this Messiah that they had been told about. Um, and again, once they had this knowledge of Christ, once they had been given this uh, knowledge that the Christ had come, this was not something that they could keep to themselves. This was not something that they could just keep within their own hearts. They had to go and tell others. Um, and they understood the significance of this event enough not to just tell others, but also to. Give praise and give glory to God. Um, praise and glory that was obviously due from this situation. Um, the next reaction that I want us to look at is uh, in Matthew chapter 2, the reaction of the wise men. Turn over to Matthew chapter 2 for, uh, with me, if you will. Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 11 for us. And we're going to go back and summarize all these reactions kind of at the end after we look at everything. But I want us to just kind of walk through these first. In Matthew chapter 2 verses uh, 1 through 11 After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in that time king Herod wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him When king Herod heard the, heard this he was alarmed and all Jerusalem with him after assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law he asked them where the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea they said for it is written this way by the prophet And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah. For for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they left. And once again, the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully, as they came into the house and saw the child with his mother with Mary his mother they bowed down and worshiped him they opened their treasure treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh so what are just a few quick observations about these wise men and the interaction that they have with Jesus and really the response they have to the coming of Christ um i think it's important to note that these wise men would have come from a great distance to see Jesus um it's it's assumed that the location they came from was probably all the way over by the uh, by Mesopotamia, which was the Tigris and Euphrates, the, the east of of Israel. Um, and so this would have been a great distance to travel. Um, some suspect that this would have been more than a, a year's journey, possibly, to come and to see uh, this Christ, to see uh, where Jesus was. Um, so this was not something that was just a, uh, you know, they, they hopped in their car and drove 45 minutes to, uh, you know, the closest manger and... and saw where Jesus was. Um this was a, a great uh distance, a great journey that was, would have required a great sacrifice. I also think it's really interesting to note um the interaction between King Herod and the wise men here. Um it says there in verse two that the wise men come to Jerusalem and, and they they go to, to Herod, you know the, the ruler of this area, and they say, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Um, if you think about it, the person that they were saying that to was the king of the Jews at the time. Um, Herod was literally king of uh, of Judea at that time and really that entire region. And so they're asking the person who is currently the king of the Jews, hey, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? Um, we'll get into this more in a minute, but you can obviously understand why Herod would be a little bit uh, troubled by that, uh, have, probably having no knowledge of this uh, before Um but I think it's just interesting that they don't acknowledge uh, Herod as the king; they acknowledge Jesus as the king that has been born. And you see that again when it comes to when they actually go and interact with Jesus for the first time. Um, it would have been very common in that day and age when you traveled, especially as these men were probably you know dignitaries of some sort or, or you know uh, rulers themselves, possibly. Um, it would have been common to give gifts to whatever the, the ruling authorities in the region you were traveling to. Um, but it's, you don't see these wise men giving any sort of these, uh, myrrh or frankincense or gold to, uh, to, to, Herod. You see them giving those gifts to Jesus. Um, they, they give no treasures. They really give no honor or respect to Herod at all. All of the honor, all of the treasure, all of these gifts are given to Jesus, um, to the Christ. Um, and so what do we what do we learn from these interactions, uh, the interaction that these wise men have with Jesus? Um, I think it's interesting that the coming of Christ was something that was recognized even in distant lands as something that was important and something that was uh, really world-changing. You don't make a journey like this for something that's insignificant. You don't make a journey like this for something that uh, that doesn't matter. Um, this was something that was very important and recognized as important even in far and distant lands. And, and I don't know how exactly this whole thing with the star worked or, or whatever the case was and how that uh, led them or how they even knew that that's what the star meant in the first place. Um, but somehow these people had knowledge that there was something uh, crucially important happening in the land of Judea. A king had been born, uh, the king of the Jews, um, whose uh, who, who had a sign of a, of a star in the heavens. And they viewed that as important enough to make this, uh, this great tr- uh, trek. Um, and then secondly, I think that the coming of Christ puts these other worldly authorities or other worldly relationships into perspective. Um, these wise men, if they had just been doing what was natural for them, like I mentioned before, they would have automatically just uh, given this respect to Herod, uh, given these gifts to Herod. He was the... Authority in that the worldly authority in that day and age, but that's not what you see. You see them give this honor and respect to Christ, to the one who is actually uh, the King. Um, and so I just think it's it's interesting to note the uh, the response that these wise men have uh, here to to Jesus coming. Um, let's actually also look at, at Herod briefly here while we're in this text in Matthew uh, chapter two. Um, Like I said before, obviously of all these groups that we're kind of talking about and how they responded to Jesus, Herod probably had the least prior knowledge of Jesus or of this idea of the Christ um, before the wise men come. Um, Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if he had had really no knowledge of this before because I don't think that Herod was probably very well versed in the the Jewish prophets and the Jewish uh, scriptures. Um, So it makes sense in a way that he is so immediately threatened and troubled by the words that these wise men say when they when they tell him uh where is this this king of the jews he's like i'm the king of the jews i don't know what you're talking about um and he's so threatened by this shepherd king as he's described uh there in verse six he's so threatened by the shepherd king um, that he massacres an entire region's worth of children if you look down at verses uh, 16 through 18 in matthew chapter 2 it says, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, they didn't end up coming back to him after they visited Jesus, he became enraged. He sent men to kill all the children in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding region from the age of two and under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud wailing, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were gone. Herod was so troubled and threatened by uh, this coming king, that he he literally killed an entire region's worth of children uh, who were under the age of two. Um, I think even for a uh, even for a king who I think according to history was probably known for his brutality, known for his violence. Um, this is still an excessive reaction to a to a baby being born, um, and I think that it it uh, it goes to show how uh, how seriously and how how. Uh, how much of this was a, a big deal to, to people of this day and age. Um, so from the, from the, the, the uh, response that Herod has to the coming of Christ, I think we can see that the coming of Christ is going to cause some people to be troubled or threatened. Um, there's not always going to be a positive reaction to the coming of Christ. There's not always going to be this joy and praising. Um, if you are, uh, especially for those who are in power, or for those who know that by the coming of Christ they have something to lose, um, that's, this is going to be something that is troubling, something that seems threatening, something that does not seem uh, joyous or, uh, or worthy of, of praise. Um, the last interaction that I want us to look at uh, this morning is uh, the response that Simeon and Anna have back in Luke chapter 2. Um, go back to Luke chapter 2 with me, and I'm going to read uh, a few sections here. Luke chapter 2, and verses. Uh, I'm going to read verses 25 through uh, really verse 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon, directed by the Spirit, came into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. So the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Listen carefully, this child is destined to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be rejected. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. There was also a prophetess anna the daughter of phanuel of the tribe of asher she was very old and had been married to her husband for seven years until his death she lived as a widow since then for 84 years she never left the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day at that moment she came up to them and began to give thanks to god and speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of jerusalem i think these these two characters that we read about here in uh, in luke chapter 2 are really interesting um, because it kind of seems like their entire lives are wrapped up in waiting for this coming Messiah. Um, Simeon is described in verse 25 as someone who is uh, righteous and devout, but is looking for the restoration of Israel. Um, and I think it's, it's also kind of interesting uh, when Simeon begins to praise the Lord for what he is seeing through this Christ. Um, Simeon recognizes that this literally means that he is now going to die. Um, this literally means that he can now uh, die in peace. But his life was so wrapped up in this idea of the coming restoration of Israel, this coming Christ who's going to, to make all things right again, that didn't even matter to him. It didn't even matter to him that now that this Christ has come that he's going to, to pass mm-hmm. um, because he recognized the long-term implications of what this meant and how, uh, how crucial this was for the people of Israel. Um, Anna, in the same way, is described as uh, fasting day and night, fasting and praying uh, day and night, um, and never leaving the temple. Um, I think that these these are two people who give us a really good example of uh, diligence and in diligence in waiting for uh, for this coming Christ. Um, and I think it's also interesting to look at the reaction that both of these people have. Um, there's not a—it's uh, it's actually really interesting, and I, I didn't realize this until I looked into these passages more. You would think that, you know, when you're presented with this Christ, when you're presented with this baby Jesus who is going to represent the hope of all Israel, that your praise would be given to, to Jesus. Your praise would be given to, to this, this Christ who's going to accomplish this. But it says that in, in both of these people's reactions, uh, both Simeon in verse 28 and then uh, Anna in verse 38— uh, it says that they blessed God or they gave thanks to God um, about this child and about what this child was going to accomplish. Um, the, the natural reaction here uh, would have been, and, and probably right, 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 rightly so, I don't think there would have be been anything wrong about praising Jesus in these, in these situations, but their automatic reaction is to bless God. For God, it was about to accomplish something great and something wonderful um, through this, uh, this salvation that was going to be brought. Um, It's really interesting. Simeon specifically uh, hones in on how this was going to uh, to bring salvation and not just salvation to the Jewish people, but also salvation to the Gentiles. Um, He mentions that in verse uh, verse 32 that this was a salvation that had been prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light and a revelation even to the Gentiles um, and a source of glory for uh, his people Israel. Um, really demonstrating a uh, really a, a very complete understanding of what was uh, what was happening here with uh, the coming of the, this Christ. Um, I think it's also interesting to look at the reaction of uh, of Anna specifically uh, like I said before, she gives thanks to God, but it doesn't just stop there. She's not just giving thanks to God. It says that she gives thanks to God in verse thirty eight and begins to speak about the child to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Um, this maybe gives the idea that there were more people like Simeon and Anna who were kind of just waiting around, waiting and hoping that somehow God would would save his people Israel, that somehow God would redeem and bring salvation to his people Israel. And she immediately, as soon as she finds out about this, her reaction is to go and to tell those people, hey, God has done this. God has accomplished this. That Christ has come and this is this is happening. Um, so what do we learn from Simeon and Anna here? Um, I think that we see a few, uh, few basic things that, first of all, the coming of Christ was everything to these people. Their entire lives were wrapped up in this. Their, their lives, their purpose, their day-to-day was wrapped up in the coming of Christ. Um, I think it's also interesting to note that even, even though Simeon and Anna, we can kind of assume based on how old it says they are, that they probably did not live for another 30 years and see the ultimate fulfillment of this uh, this promise. Um, they didn't see the ultimate fulfillment of what this Christ was going to accomplish. But they were still able to praise and to glorify God. Even though they didn't see it with their own eyes, they believed in the promises of God. They believed that um, this Christ had come and he was going to accomplish this salvation, this uh, redemption that had been promised. Um, and finally, and this is, this is easy to see here, but... Uh, this blessing and thanksgiving to God naturally flows out of uh, what he's accomplished through Christ. Um, when, we, when, when we look at and see the coming of Christ and we see this, this story and this picture that's being described here, I don't think there's any other reaction other than to bless and to praise God. Um, I shouldn't say there isn't any other reaction, because obviously we've seen that Herod didn't respond that way, so there is another reaction. But the, um, the natural reaction to this is to bless uh, and praise God. And so just to kind of summarize uh, these reactions that we've looked at uh, from these different people, um, you kind of have, like I mentioned, you kind of have both the positive and the negative side. So you have, on the negative side, you have Herod, um, who feels uh, troubled and threatened, and even uh, violently so, opposes the coming of Christ. This was not something that he was interested in. This was not something that he wanted in any form or fashion. Um, And then, but also on the other side, uh, and Thankfully, more, uh, more reactions like this we've, we've read about this morning. You see the positive reactions that people have to the coming of Christ. You see these people blessing God, responding in joy and praise, um, making great sacrifices and traveling uh, great distances uh, in order to come and to see this Christ who has been, uh, who's been born into the world. Um, and so maybe by this point you're asking yourself, okay, what in the world does this have to do with building our foundation on Christ? Um, and I was also asking myself that question at some point when I was writing this lesson, so um, I want to I want to try to bring that back, um, bring it back to this passage that we're looking at this year in First Corinthians uh, chapter 3. I think it's important, I think all of us can think about, and should think about, um, how do we respond today to the fact that the Christ has come? Um, obviously, we're in a different day and age, and we're in a different uh, time and just setting than the people that we've read about today and how they responded to Christ. But the fact remains the same, that the Christ has come. This Christ that had been prophesied about for so long, this Christ that had been uh, foretold of and that God had been planning for for thousands of years up until this point, He has come. He has come into the world. And what we're doing this morning is we're reading about what He has done. We're reading about what He has accomplished. What we just did before this in memorializing His death is recognizing that this Christ has come this Christ has accomplished uh, what he has come to accomplish and so I think that um, it would be proper for us to ask ourselves the question of "Are how are we responding to the fact that Christ has come um, and I, I, I think it's helpful to go and look at these examples that we see of how these people responded to the to the Christ coming and how we can relate that that to our own lives so like the shepherds, do we respond in, uh, in joy and in praising and in such joy and praise that we can't keep from telling other people that, hey, a Christ has come, a Savior has come to this, to this world? Even though it might be maybe a fearful thing for us at first, it may be something that we don't even completely understand the implications of in our own lives or in the world. Um, if we recognize and believe that Jesus came to this earth, how are we responding to that? Are we responding with joy and praise? Are we responding with blessing and thanksgiving God, leaving whatever we're doing to go and to find this Christ? Um, does our response look like the response that the shepherds have? When it comes to uh, responding like the wise men did, um, does does uh, the coming of Christ change the way that we look at the rest of the world around us? Um, because it should. Um, if we If we recognize that Christ has come and Christ is now our ultimate authority, our ultimate king, um, that is the one that we need to build our lives on. It's not anything of this world, it's not anything of uh, the flesh or any kind of worldly authority or uh, thing to rely on. Um, We must build our lives on Christ. And sometimes it's gonna involve us making sacrifices. Um, You see very specifically in, uh, in, in the story of the wise men, they had to travel a great distance. They brought very expensive gifts. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, you need to travel a long distance for Christ or spend a lot of money for Christ or anything like that. But whatever it looks like in your life, if we recognize that Christ has come, that means that we should be willing to make sacrifices like that. Um, this is not just a uh, an insignificant thing that we can just pass over and uh, and ignore. The Christ has come, and we need to respond to that uh, with sacrifice and with uh, with, with a changed perspective on the world around us. Um, I think uh, the reaction of Simeon and Anna is really, really interesting to me and really uh, something that I'm uh, going to try to take to heart. Um, and that's specifically just the, um, the fact that their entire lives were wrapped up in hoping and waiting for this coming of Christ. Um, and this wasn't something that they could keep to themselves. This is something that they wanted to go and tell other people about, tell others who were similarly waiting for the redemption of Christ. I think in our world today, um, whether or not people recognize it all the time, people are waiting for and seeking some kind of salvation and redemption. Um, maybe, maybe not in the same way that these people were waiting around at the temple, waiting for the redemption of, of Israel and Jerusalem, but people are waiting and seeking for some kind of salvation, some kind of redemption. Um, and if we know that those people are out there who who feel that way, who uh, are waiting for this this uh, who are waiting for something to to latch onto, something to to grab onto in their lives, if we know that that has come, we have a responsibility to tell them. We have a responsibility to share this good news that the Christ has come and that um, that they don't have to wait around anymore. Um, that that is something that they can now take advantage of. Um, in a, in a negative way, um, I think that all of us need to really look at our our own lives and hearts and think about if we have the same reaction as Herod when it comes to the Christ. I think on initial thought, all of us would be like, "Oh no, like I'm not responding that way for sure." Like Herod, you know, that's he's the worst. Uh, I'm not going around killing babies or anything like that. Um, but think about this, like. Um, are you living a life that looks like you are excited about the the coming of Christ? Are you living a life that looks like you are joyful and praising the fact that the Christ has come into this world? Because if you're not, then really you probably are more likely that, that you're having a reaction like Herod, someone who is troubled and threatened. Because, like I've said, like, like we've talked about this morning, this coming of Christ changes things. It changes our perspective on the world. It changes our perspective on... Uh, our own responsibilities, um, and if even if maybe on on a just a, a deep uh, interior level, um, if we are threatened or troubled by the fact that the crisis come, I think that's something that we need to really look at our own hearts and lives about and think about uh, think about deeply. Um, going back to our passage in in First Corinthians chapter three, I want to I want to read one part of this again just to kind of bring this uh, bring this full circle. Um, It says in, I'm just going to read verses uh, 10 through 13 again. Um, It says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skillful master, I laid a foundation, but someone else builds on it. And each one must be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, that is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen that day will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what kind of work each one has done I really want us to think just for a moment here about uh, this last uh, couple verses here in uh, in our theme passage for this year where it talks about this ultimate judgment that is coming someday um, this, uh, this day that will make all things clear uh, that, that will make really clear what foundation we're building our lives on um, I think as much as uh, you know we can we can look back at this coming of Christ and think about all right how uh, how should I respond to that how should how would I have responded if I was in that day and time how should I respond now based on the fact that the Christ has come I think it's also really important that as we're thinking about what we build our foundation on that we look forward and think about the Christ is going to come again um, the Christ is going to come. Uh, again to this earth and it's not going to be a coming of, uh, of necessarily salvation or, or good, good news it's going to be a coming of judgment um, there's going to be a day when all things will be made clear um, the found, and whatever you're building your foundation on will be exposed in that day um, and I think that it's I think a, a good question for us to think about is when we are faced with the fact that Christ is going to come again what is our reaction to that going to be as we prepare for that day, for this day that is being described here where all things will be revealed, what is our reaction going to be? Are we going to respond like like Herod uh, and feel troubled and threatened uh, by this coming of Christ? Or are we going to respond like the shepherds do and like the wise men did and like Simeon and Anna did, who are focused on uh, rejoicing and praising God uh, for this thing? I think it's really, that's a, that's a hard question to think about and it's a hard question to answer because... Um, it's hard to, to think about uh, this world not being anymore. It's hard to think about all the things that we're, you know, building our lives on going away or changing or, or uh, not being the, the same anymore. Um, but this is a fact. Christ is going to come again. This day that is described here is going to happen. And I think if we, uh, I think it's a good thought process to go through for all of us to think about how, how am I honestly going to respond to that? can I say with full certainty that that is something that I am looking forward to, that is something I uh, want to happen with joy and thanksgiving and blessing God? Or is maybe that idea something that troubles me? Maybe is that an idea that uh, isn't very comfortable with me, the idea that Christ is going to come again someday? Um, we all need to think about that for ourselves and what our reaction will be to that ultimate judgment. Um, and in the same way, as we are going through our everyday lives, we need to be building our foundation on this Jesus that we read about this morning. Um, and that's a really cool thing that we're going to be able to look at for the rest of this year, is who this Jesus is and how we're supposed to build our foundation on him. Um, but I think the first, the first step in building that foundation is really knowing how we respond to the fact that the Christ has come um, and what that looks like in our everyday lives. Um, if you're here this morning and this is something that uh, has challenged you, well then you're in the same boat that I am because uh, this is something that has really challenged me to think about uh, these questions in my own life. Um, but I also recognize that there there could be some here this morning who haven't accepted uh, the word of Christ, who haven't accepted, uh, haven't accepted Christ and followed the path that he has laid out to have access to this salvation that we're able to bless God and praise God for. Um, and we don't want we don't want anyone here to have uh, any doubts in their minds about their state before God on this judgment day that I'm describing. Um, it's uh, if you're not if you're not with Christ, if you're not uh, in a relationship with Christ, then you don't have access to these blessings and the other things that we have described uh, here this morning. So, if there's anything that we can do to help you uh, answer those questions, please come and talk to one of us afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, grab me, Richard, Tim, anybody, uh, and we'll be more than happy to uh, to help you uh, answer those questions. But uh, let's just think about these things and uh, and how we respond to the fact that the Christ has come. Uh, we'll now stand and sing. Five sixty six.